The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And on this podcast episode, we're going to continue our AI education series, sharing some of our insights from our Cognolytica executive education subscription that we have put literally hundreds, now moving on to thousands of people through across private sector of largest companies, the smallest companies, and everybody in between, and government agencies at the federal, the state, the local, the international level. Um, there's a lot of desire and need for education. And honestly, probably a lot of the reasons why you listen to our AI Today podcast. We want to thank you all for really listening and, and tuning in. And I guess as part of our way of paying you back for your attention and rewarding you for listening to us, we're going to share with you our executive education uh, that we make available if you go to courses.cognolytica.com. So if you go there, you can see more. And this is going to be an excerpt from our managing data, but we'll tell you a little bit more about that shortly. Exactly. So as Ron mentioned, you know, we have been running education, executive level education for quite some time now. Um, and we have a broad range of customers. So we wanted to share a little clip from our managing data for AI uh, education today. You know, we spend a lot of time on artificial intelligence, as you can tell from the AI Today podcast, and also related topics and areas. So we have role-specific education, and we really tailor it towards the specific objectives at your organization, because we understand that, you know, people in an executive level role versus a procurement role versus an implementer, they have, you know, different skill sets and different needs. And so we have our education that matches that because it's not a one size fits all approach. So we follow the best practices from both the Edison data science framework, and also it's been optimized for the Department of Defense Jake archetypes as well. We have over 50 courses and we continue to add to our content library pretty regularly. Um, you know, we'll update courses as needed or we'll add additional courses as needed as well. So we really, you know, do encourage you to check that out. But in this podcast today, we will be giving you a little teaser from what from what we have, so that you can see the quality of our education. And we'll be um, it'll be on the topic of managing data for AI. Yeah, actually, even more than just a teaser, we're going to share with you about sixteen minutes here of our education on managing data for AI. And the reason why uh, we're sharing this particular one is because, as you know, the fundamental core of what makes artificial intelligence systems work is data. And so um, one of the things that's often cited from our research is that over 80% of the time you spend on AI projects is around data management, data manipulation, data preparation, data cleansing, data labeling, data enhancing all the things you need to do with data, right? And then you spend the other 20% of the time doing the thing that you thought you were going to do in your AI project, which was, you know, you know, machine learning model algorithm selection and actual model training and model iteration and all that sort of good stuff. That's all the fun parts, right? Well, but you don't, you can't get to that fun part <laughs> until you get your hands on data. Now we have many courses of education focused on data. As a matter of fact, the funny thing is just like 80% 
of your AI projects are data. Probably 80% of our courses are focused on data. <laughs> that might be uh, saying actually more much because we do have a lot of foundational level courses for, for different audiences. But um, this particular piece of education deals with the fact that we're just trying to get trying to get to the data. That's what we mean by managing data. Where is the data? How do we get access to it? And also sort of the a little bit of the historical context of how did we get to here? Because, you know, back in the days when there was literally one machine, there was one gigantic computer that took up a whole room and all the storage was sitting in that very same room, probably spinning around a little reel to reel thing or maybe one of those big hard desk enclosures. You kind of knew where your data was. Not only did you know what system was, you can actually say, oh, our data is in room 351. That's how, <laughs> that's how much you knew where the data was. Well, fast forward a couple of decades. Now we don't really know where our data is. The data is literally everywhere from data centers where that's always been to mobile phones, to devices, to cameras, to the internet, to streaming here and streaming there. And, you know, uh, Getting just simply getting our hands on data is a big challenge. So in this particular education component that we share from our managing data for AI course, this is actually a 16 minute segment of a much longer course. We share kind of how we got to here and more importantly, how the whole area of analytics arose from the original needs of just trying to gain some understanding from this data. So tune in and we will share this with you and we will catch you on the other side. So if we go into the way back, Right, way back, 70s, 80s, 60s, maybe, maybe even 50s. <laughs> when we first had the need to basically, when we were first building our systems, you know, computers, we wanted them to do things that were very transactional, like recording customer information or doing an insurance quote or an ATM system where you're withdrawing money from a bank or even a banking system, right? And the thing about these, these are they're very, these transactions, you know, they had to be reliable. I mean, it's sort of like you don't want to be withdrawing money from a bank and it forgetting, you know, well, maybe actually you do want to, well, maybe you don't want it to be depositing information and forgetting. Either way, you don't want, you need this to be very fat and you don't want to be sitting there waiting a long time. So, so, so really the, the original, like the focus of the, the database, you know, the, the, which was the storage for data, the database of, of data. Is really focused is this this the core of the idea of the OLTP, the online transaction processing. You know, online meaning that you know this database is sitting there. It's not offline, right? It's sitting there waiting for you, and you can make queries into it, and it's responding back to you. And it's focused on transaction processing, where these transactions need to be quick, short responses that focus on the interaction with little bits of data. You know, they're you know they need to be what's called acid. You know, they need to be at atomicity, which means that you know if you ever have to, if there's an error, and you need to roll back and say, oh, this is something happened. With this database, I need to go back. You can only go back if you don't have dependencies between data, you know, that this the state that after you go back needs to be the state that it was beforehand, isolation where one thing doesn't impact something else and durability, a write is a write, it doesn't disappear, you know? There's lots of things. We also deal with concurrency where many systems can be working with the same databases at the same time and not interfering with each other. This is what we built the strength of our great database systems on. And we really mastered this, you know, through the 80s and through the 90s, you know, early 2000, we really figured out how to build highly reliable databases. We had figured out how to how to grow them, how to have server farms, how things like called sharding, you know, <laughs> distributing data over multiple databases and fault tolerant systems and backups recovery. We figured that out. You know, for those of you that are DBAs, this, this may be a source of great enjoyment or great pain, depending on sort of where you were on that. And we had like a language for basically querying 
these, you know, highly structured systems, no, no, you know, doubt called structured query language, SQL. It was a language for basically querying these structured relational databases and extracting what we want and very mature. And for those of you in the, in the data science data space, you know, you may be, you need to know a little bit of SQL. You need to know how to basically retrieve data from structured data sources and do the joins and the left joins and the right joins and all these sorts of stuff that you have to do can get very complicated very quick. And, you know, writing the right SQL query can be very optimized to basically give you results very quickly, right? But we also learned that these database, while there's, they're great for the transactions and highly reliable, you need to also build reports. You know, it might be that you have these customer database, but maybe you want to build a report every day to basically see where your customers are, generate invoices or, or generate customer billing reports or whatever you need to do. You know, analysis for financial, you're a public company, you need some to do some sort of analysis. And these report generation would tie up the resources of those very same databases. And so you'd have a little bit of a fight between the transactional processing folks would be like, look, I just need my databases to be fast and reliable. And the analytics folks would be like, well, I just need to go in there and I need to you know, use up these resources to, to generate these reports and I have to generate these reports. And so people of course figured out that these needs are, while they are um, symbiotic, they're not necessarily compatible. And the whole area of OLAP, which is online analytical process, where the, where the idea was, well, can we basically take extracts or, or some way can we basically take our transactional data, put it in a different database system, which is not optimized for fast transactions, but is optimized for generating of reports. And we can kind of separate these two worlds so that the report folks don't interfere with the transaction folks and the transaction folks don't interfere with the reporting folks, right? So OLAP is focused on, you know, long transactions that may take a long time to do the analysis, complicated queries that may combine information from multiple different data sources. We may be interacting with large amounts of data, whereas an individual customer record might not be that big. You know, if you're like a, a bank or like some big institution, you may have gigantic amounts of information, right? And the thing about these, these analytic systems is that we're not constantly updating them. You know, they need to be they need to be accurate, they need to be on time, but it's not that they're being updated like every millisecond, right? And so in this universe, we started to already have the separation between the worlds of the need for data storage for transactions and the need for data analysis. So we, and we can even start seeing the, the separation in the uh, capabilities and skills of the people. You might have DBAs and database folks who are really, you know, they know how to keep databases up and running and dealing with the sharding and the distribution and the scaling and, the, and all that sort of stuff. You may have a different set of people who are more familiar with the analytics side and generating great reports and you know pulling the data and and you know being a really efficient with all that so that these reports don't take too forever to generate. And so we already started to see this differentiation and specialization in the skill sets needed for dealing with data. And and we also had some challenges. Like you know like well okay well why aren't we just doing OLTP and OLAP now? Well we have this issue of especially as the data started growing and growing and growing how do I deal with the fact that I may have to distribute queries across many databases that might exist all over the world? Let's say you're a big multinational with data literally all over the world. You know, how do you deal with the fact that you may have these huge server farms with lots of data? You have, you have issues of reports taking longer and longer to generate. We have, and then we have just issues of, of these, these systems be, became and are very complicated to set up and manage to basically do either side, the OLTP or the OLAP side for doing the management, the querying gets complicated, the analysis gets complicated. So let's, a big movement in the late 80s and early 90s going to 2000 to basically try to simplify that, especially on the analysis side. 
So let's just say, so let's focus now on the needs for analysis. And like, okay, we need to we need to gain more insights from data. Let's just imagine that the transaction side, those folks built their own universe of highly reliable, highly scalable databases. But you know, for the for the analysis world, we have this challenge of all this data being in all these different databases, and they're constantly being updated. And I need to basically generate reports. And so this idea was like, well, we could have all these separate analysis databases, but let's just try to create this one system, you know, that basically can aggregate data from all of these different data sources. And then I could basically take my systems and basically do some further analysis on that based on my needs. And this was, of course, the data warehouse. And the data warehouse basically, well, it needs to be populated with real data. So we got to extract that data from the original OLAP systems or from the OLTP systems, either ones, whatever the original systems are. We need to transform it. That's the E part of, of ETL. We need to then transform it into the format that the data warehouse wants because the original format might've been great for customer records or payment transactions, but for reporting purposes, that may not be very effective or efficient, too much data, maybe I need to combine fields wrong. It needs to do all sorts of stuff, right? And then once I transform, I need to load it into this data warehouse that basically can then make the reporting and analytics possible. And there's this idea of data marts where it's like, okay, different parts of the organization might have different reporting needs. So it can then take this data warehouse itself and kind of piecemeal it out to these different data marts where one data mart might be focused on the needs for finance and another data mart focused on the needs for, you know, marketing, another one for sales, another one for operations, whatever it is. We're basically going to take subsets of the data, maybe different formats, maybe different transformations. And that basically speeds everybody up because if everybody has to, again, we have the same problem. Everybody has to access the same data warehouse and it has this one format, then we have all this complexity, right? So this was kind of like state of the art, you know, late 80s, early 90s, moved to the 2000s. And, you know, surely we have this problem solved. But of course, we're here. And, you know, while data warehouses and ETL is sort of like the rigor of like, you know, having to do to deal with with the enterprise data systems, um, we have had some challenges in dealing with this because, of course, the growth of unstructured data. But before we get into that and what how unstructured data has kind of thrown the data warehouse space for a loop. We have this idea of data mining and data mining. Remember how I said that there are all these folks who are specialized in this area of data analysis, building off the experience of working with OLAP and on the analytical processing side. Well, this is sort of this generic area called data mining, where we're trying to extract value <laughs> from the natural resource that is the data, right? That's the mining, you know, you're mining this, you know, <laughs> gems out of sort of the raw material that is data, right? And, and this introduced some methodology um, and some ideas that, of course, we grow on even today, where it's like, we, okay, well, this idea with data mining is we could take our data warehouse, we could basically select out of our data warehouse the information that we are interested in for reporting. We're going to transform it again into what we need for the reports. We're going to then do our mining thing, which is the data analysis. There's no specific recipe because the mining could be any of a number of different kinds of mining. We basically get our little extracted information and then we can basically put it together into some sort of visualization or some final report, right? And so we have our ETL, which got the data into the, into the data mine, but uh, into the data warehouse, that is. But we need the data mining to get the value out of the data warehouse to do the report. So we have to select it. We've got to transform it again. We've got to do a little mining, and then we have to synthesize it, all this. And you know, the reason for this, again, if you remember from that earlier chart, was for descriptive analytics, which is 
you know, it's okay if this process took a little while because I'm trying to do looking, I'm looking to the back, to the past. I'm basically trying to understand, you know, kind of what happened with, with the, the supply chain or with, with the finance or with the customers or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe I need that analysis on a regular basis, but I don't need that, that analysis like every minute, you know, I just need that analysis to help humans make better decision-making as part of our regular, you know, keeping everything, keeping tabs on everything, Right. And so data mining basically introduced some methodology for us. And for those who have go, who are going through CPMAI methodology or have been through our, our introduction to methodologies class, this is actually where the CRISP-DM methodology, the cross-industry standard process for data mining, which is the DM part, came out of this trying to uh, establish a standard method by which data miners, data analysts, can basically extract data from these uh, big data warehouses to to generate reports in a, in a quick amount of time without everybody having to try to figure this out. And it just takes two or three weeks just to even figure out how to do the report and then do the report. And by the time you're done, the data has changed, the report is late. So that's what this CRISP-DM methodology focused on. And of course, CPMAI builds on CRISP-DM to add all the AI and machine learning components to make CRISP-DM relevant to what we're doing today. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. So here we have, you know, here we were in the past, you know, with like, this is sort of like your typical environment. It looks complicated because it is complicated. We have all of our data sources, all of our OLTP databases of all sorts, our ERP systems, our CRM systems, or whatever our line of business databases are. And then we have these challenges here. We got lots and lots of data volume, just, just boom, just starting to really grow. And then we have this emergence, you know, from the late 19, basically from the emergence of the web, mobile, social plus IoT, <laughs> you know, and, and tons of other data, just like, bam, we have all this data that just doesn't even fit into those databases. We got to somehow take all that data, load them into our data warehouses. Now we know the data warehouses are the analytical warehouses that aggregate data from all these data sources. We have these star schemas where we can try to, you know, that, that's the transforming, we're going to transform data into those schemas so that we can then do this reporting. And of course, then we have our BI analytics folks over here on the right, which then need to extract it using the tools of data mining. And then of course we have our data monitoring. And it's not, you know, this funny joke, you get these um, cartoons from Timo Elliott, which we uh, reference in our, in our training here. And it's like, you know, it says, we don't uh, let people access the data warehouse because that would slow it down too much, which is funny because, well, what's the point of it? <laughs> and isn't the data warehouse supposed to be an answer to not slowing down the relational databases? So here we have these problems. You have an increase in the variety of data sources, an increase in data volume, an increase in the types of data. We have all this pressure on the transformation, getting this all into the warehouse. We have a data warehouse that's complex. It's got rigid transformations that are not keeping pace with the variety of data. So we have a v, lots of other V problems, right? We have problems with monitoring the data warehouse, which is frequently ignored. We have delays in the data and the inability to transform these large volumes of data or react to new sources of data we don't have a transformation for. We have we're, we're not only are we managing the databases and the data warehouse, now we're managing all this ETL code, which is middleware code. So we're like managing code everywhere now to, that we have to repair and adjust and redesign. And then by the time we get the reports out, you know, the reports become invalid or unusable because the data is changing too fast. Right, we have a delay in the in, in in the reports that we have to to generate, and also like you know people are just innovating at the they're becoming what's called citizen citizen data scientists, citizen IT people. They're just going into the data sources themselves and doing this sort of stuff because the folks in the data analysis just can't keep up with the demands. It just takes too long. We got to be agile. This is clearly not working. So of course the big movement over the past you know, decade and a half was the realization that the data warehouse 
And the traditional ways of doing ETL are highly limited because it slows everything down. Even though it answered the problem that we had in the 80s and 90s, here we are in the 2000s, 2010s, 2020s, and we can't really, you, the world has changed. You know, we are in this universe of people want millisecond responses to data that's changing in a variety of ways. And, and the traditional data warehouse isn't working. So we created this thing called the data lake. We'll talk a little bit about that. We basically moved our methodology to distributed query methodology and sort of moved away from ETL and data warehouses into more on-demand and agile forms of data analysis. What, so basically when we do it this way, we don't really care specifically about the data format. We consider all data sources. We leverage both the power of on-premise as well as the cloud. And the cloud helps us offload certain kinds of problems. We can basically treat data in its native format as well as streaming data and all sorts of big data. Instead of ETL, we're just extracting and loading. You've noticed the T goes away. We're not gonna maintain all this extra code that needs for just for transformation. Get rid of that code, extract it from the original data sources, load it into the data lake, right? And push the problem of transformation later. You can kind of see here on the right where it says transform on read. The person who's generating the report, they should transform it, not the person who's trying to get this into a data warehouse where it needs to be transformed anyways <laughs> later to basically do data mining, right? So one transformation instead of two or multiple. You know, where we if we do this, we could basically store the data in its near native format. And if we do, we can gain more efficiency for that as well. We can handle streaming data. We could basically do all sorts of stuff with transforming data and read. I just mentioned the data refinery process. And basically, um, we can, we can, the users have more control at the end of the day with the reports they want because we give the users tools for visualization and analytics that access the data lake through the various transformations and services we provide, or maybe even cloud-based tools. And so we kind of shift the burden off of the data warehouse team, the data analytics team, which can never keep up with, with all those demands. Alrighty. Well, we hope that you enjoyed that clip from our managing data for AI education. You know, as we mentioned, this is just about a 16 minute or so clip um, from the education. It's the, the whole thing is much larger. So if you'd like to dig into it in more detail, we do encourage you to check that out at courses.cognolitica.com. We'll also link to it in the show notes as well, so that you can go directly to the um, the Managing Data for AI course, and also all of our educational offerings. We don't offer this on an a la carte basis. It's a, you know, a subscription so that you get access to the full package because, you know, you need to understand, as Ron mentioned earlier, we have a lot of foundational level courses and you need to make sure that you have the foundations before you build on some higher level knowledge. So um, the course, we have suggested paths as well. So in case, you know, you're not sure where to get started, we do provide you guidance and we encourage you to follow it in the suggested order because, you know, education does build on, on top of the foundational level courses. So hopefully you got, you know, a good glimpse into what our education looks like. And this was a good teaser for you to want to check out the rest of the course. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including a link, as I mentioned, to our courses.cognolitica.com site. And as always, we love hearing from our listeners. So please do reach out to us if you ever have, you know, any questions for us or want to dig deeper. Uh, thanks for listening. And, and we'll catch you at that's the next a wrap podcast. for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group.
And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyrighted by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.